If we are so lucky as to see the end of Donald Trump's presidency before January 2021, whether he is impeached or resigns in disgrace, I don't think it's overstating the case to say that this week, the 41st week of his presidency, will take its place in the history books as the beginning of the end. This was the week that Robert Mueller, the special counsel investigating the ties between the Trump campaign and Russia, started to show his cards. We saw the indictment of two high-level campaign officials. Another campaign advisor pled guilty to lying to investigators. The White House went into full panic mode, which is when they work really hard to make it look like they aren't panicking at all. They tried to claim, and this is genuinely amazing, that these indictments had nothing to do with them at all. It's beyond absurd, of course, but on the other hand, it's exactly the sort of brazen lie you'd expect from Donald Trump and the people who work for him. After all, they lie about everything, every single day. But that doesn't mean we should ever get used to it. We have to remember, this is not normal. Hello, and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Burney, and I want to start out by talking about exactly what Paul Manafort and Rick Gates were indicted for. I recommend you read the indictment in its entirety. I'll have a link to it on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. If nothing else, it's entertaining as hell. For years, Manafort and Gates worked for Ukrainian political figures, parties, and organizations that were pro-Russian, the people who want to make Ukraine a satellite state of Russia as opposed to seeking more independence and closer ties to the European Union and the United States. In other words, Manafort was working in direct conflict to U.S. interests. Remember, when Viktor Yanukovych was kicked out of power in 2014, Russia's response was to invade Ukraine and take away the Crimean Peninsula. Yanukovych is the one who put Manafort on the payroll. But that's not what Manafort was indicted for. You're allowed to work for whatever tidpot anti-American dictator you want to. What you're not allowed to do is hide the millions upon millions of dollars of income in tax shelters in places like Cyprus. You aren't allowed to launder the money by paying for services and maybe overpaying for them with wire transfers from Cypriot banks. And while you're allowed to lobby on behalf of foreign governments, you can't fail to register as a foreign agent, and you also can't hide your lobbying behind other companies while pretending you aren't the one in charge. And perhaps most important, you can't lie to federal investigators about all these things, which is exactly what Manafort and Gates did, according to the indictment. The White House response to Manafort and Gates' indictment was predictable. They said it had nothing to do with them, that it wasn't related to the campaign. Here's what Trump himself said on Twitter. Sorry, but this is years ago, before Paul Manfort was part of the Trump campaign. But why aren't crooked Hillary and the Dems the focus? It's an interesting excuse, isn't it? He was an experienced criminal years before I hired him. It doesn't exactly put Trump's judgment in the best light. He did say he only hired the best people, and... It's pretty clear Paul Manafort was very good at lobbying for dictators and hiding the money. But hey, maybe the White House has a point. After all, none of the charges in the indictments have anything to do with specific campaign activities. But the idea that it's somehow unconnected to Trump and Russia? That's absurd. 
Remember, Paul Manafort ran the campaign for probably its most crucial period, leading up to and beyond the convention. But the White House this week tried to make this absurd argument. Paul Manafort was brought in to lead the delegate process, which he did, uh, and was dismissed not too long after that. She actually said it twice. Paul Manafort to handle the delegate process, which he did, and he was dismissed not too long after that. That's essentially a straight-up lie. Manafort ran things from pretty much the day he started. And once Lewandowski was pushed out, Manafort was clearly in charge. And this was a man with deep financial ties to some of the most powerful oligarchs in Russia. And those people certainly had knowledge of the work Manafort was doing and where the money was paid to. Russia was aware of Manafort's crimes. That means it had leverage over the person running the campaign. We don't know if or when Russia used that leverage, but the idea that Manafort's indictment isn't terrible news for Donald Trump is honestly laughable. And of course, the Papadopoulos indictment is even worse for Trump. Papadopoulos is a cooperating witness. He's pled guilty to lying to investigators. And we don't know yet everything he's told Robert Mueller or how he's cooperated with the investigation. What we do know is that while serving as a member of a foreign policy advisory committee named by Trump, that he repeatedly worked to get in touch with Russian officials to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. He also tried to arrange trips for someone on the campaign to meet with senior Russian government staff. It's not clear if this trip ever happened, but we do know Papadopoulos pursued it aggressively. And we know that at least one point, he believed the trip was going to happen. He claimed the campaign chairman and another foreign policy advisor would meet Russian government contacts in London. That chairman thing is interesting. Of course, Manafort was the official campaign chairman. He ran the show. But there was a co-chairman, too, a man named Sam Clovis. I've talked about Clovis on the show before because Trump named him to be the head scientist at the Department of Agriculture. Only... Clovis isn't a scientist and has no training as a scientist. And this week, he withdrew his name from consideration for the post. Only it wasn't because he was ridiculously unqualified for the job. It was because the administration didn't want him answering questions about Russia under oath during his confirmation hearings. So is he the chairman Papadopoulos was talking about? My guess is Clovis is going to have to answer those questions eventually, if he hasn't already, whether it's to Robert Mueller or one of the intelligence committees. And he's not the only one with a lot of questions to answer. Things are looking terrified for a lot of people in Donald Trump's circle. Carter Page, another campaign foreign policy advisor, testified for hours Thursday in a closed hearing in front of the House Intelligence Committee. He didn't bring a lawyer, because he's an idiot. And apparently he testified that he told Jeff Sessions about a trip he took to Russia during the campaign, which could contradict testimony Sessions gave under oath during his confirmation hearing about how zero campaign officials had contact with Russia to his knowledge. We also found out that Jared Kushner has recently handed documents over to Robert Mueller, uh, documents about campaign contacts with Russia. Add all of this up, the indictments, the revelations, the new questions— and it all adds up to a lot of pressure on the President of the United States. Trump continues to deny that he's a target of the investigation. But what he doesn't realize, what he's never realized, is that the President is more than just a single person. When he blames generals for a military operation gone bad or staffers for a bill that doesn't pass, he doesn't understand that he is the one 
ultimately responsible for everything his administration does. And it's the same with his campaign. The man who cannot admit responsibility for any wrongdoing ever is the one ultimately responsible for any wrongdoing that occurred. That's how it works. I'm trying not to spend too much time speculating about what the Mueller investigation will find. We know that whatever it is, Trump, the White House, and the Sean Hannity's of the world will announce that it was no big deal. They'll argue that because Donald Trump did not personally call Vladimir Putin and instruct him to hack the DNC, that there was no collusion. But I'm hopeful that if nothing else, even if no one ever holds him accountable for it, the truth about Donald Trump's campaign will come out. This week was just the beginning. There was a horrific attack in New York City this week. An Uzbek immigrant inspired by ISIS ran a truck through a running path and murdered eight people. He was wounded and captured by the police. And I hope he rots in jail for the rest of his miserable life. And I hope one day... He wakes up to the horror of what he has done and the twisted ideology that made him believe Islam taught him to be a murderer. Our justice system is far from perfect. We have seen that time and time again. But the one thing we at least try to do right, and again, we're not perfect at it, is that we always try to protect the rights of people accused of a crime. In the courts, they're innocent until proven guilty. They are told of their right to an attorney and their right not to speak to investigators. These rights do not make us weaker. They do not make us less safe. They are the foundation of a criminal justice system that at least sets the goal of saying everyone who comes before the court gets a fair shake. And yes, we have a lot of work to do before it is truly fair to all people. But... The worst thing we could possibly do is remove those protections from defendants just because the crime is particularly heinous. But that's exactly what Donald Trump wants to do. That was a horrible event, and we have to stop it, and we have to stop it cold. We also have to come up with punishment that's far quicker and far greater than the punishment these animals are getting right now. They'll go through court for years. At the end, there'll be who knows what happens. We need quick justice and we need strong justice, much quicker and much stronger than we have right now. Because what we have right now is a joke and it's a laughing stock. He calls our justice system a joke and a laughing stock. Not because it sometimes fails in its attempt to preserve our rights, but because it tries to preserve our rights in the first place. He wants to rush this guy through trial and into the chair. He did later say he hopes he gets the death penalty. And he's not the only one. John McCain, the same one who recently stopped the GOP healthcare bill, reminded us how terrible he actually is by suggesting the suspect shouldn't be read his Miranda rights. This man's crime was horrific, and I don't think... Anyone has a lot of doubt about who did this and why. But that's what makes our court system so important. It demands the government prove this man guilty, marshalling the evidence to make a case beyond a reasonable doubt. And I am terrified of what it means to have a president who doesn't understand how important that is. Because ask yourself, 
if Trump had the ability to rewrite the laws that define our justice system, do you think he would only use that newfound power to strip the rights of suspected terrorists? Remember, this is a thin-skinned man who has talked about prosecuting people who write news stories he doesn't like. Take away rights like the right to an attorney, the right to a fair trial, the right not to incriminate yourself, and suddenly Trump can start silencing voices he doesn't like. Hmm. Maybe it's time for me to shut this podcast down. One of the funnier running jokes on the American version of The Office was when they would introduce a new character. He or she would always seem sort of normal for a while, playing a kind of straight man role. Then over time, they would slowly reveal that that character was just as weird as everyone else. There's a similar sort of phenomenon in the Trump White House. First of all, let's take a moment to remember how incredible the amount of turnover has been. In less than 10 months in office, Trump has gotten rid of a national security advisor, a chief of staff, a deputy chief of staff, two communications directors, a press secretary, a secretary of health and human services, a chief strategist, a chief of West Wing operations, and there's a good chance Melania has been replaced with a body double. And every time someone new comes on, people say, well, now everything will finally run smoothly now that so-and-so is gone and the grown-ups are finally here. And no one embodies that spirit more than General John Kelly. When he left the Department of Homeland Security to become Trump's new chief of staff, you could hear an audible sigh of relief across D.C. You couldn't walk out the door without being hit in the face with a news story about how Kelly was putting things right in the West Wing, controlling access to the president, finally getting things in order. Only if you listen to the podcast, you know, things never really changed. Instead, we started to slowly realize that the man Donald Trump hired to be his chief of staff was, in fact, just another Trump supporter. He wasn't there to save us from Trump doing awful things. He was there to help Trump do awful things more efficiently. But in his core, the man who helped set up Trump's Muslim ban and increase deportations was never a knight who was going to save us from Trump. He works for Donald Trump because he agrees with him. And this week, we got to hear exactly how ugly his ideology is. Uh, I would what? tell you that Robert E. Lee was an honorable man. Uh, he was a man that uh, gave, up, uh, gave up his country to fight for his state, which in 150 years ago was more important than country. It was always loyalty to state first back in those days. Uh, now we're, it's different today. Uh, but the, 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 the lack of an ability to compromise uh, led to the Civil War. And uh, men and women of good faith on both sides made their stand where their conscience uh, had them make their stand. Robert E. Lee wasn't an honorable man. He was a slave owner who brutally abused the human beings he owned. He was a traitor to the United States who fought a war to preserve his right to own other people. And what exactly sort of compromise does Kelly think we should have made to prevent the Civil War? Remember, there were compromises. The Missouri Compromise, the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Lincoln made it clear he would keep slavery to preserve the Union. But as bloody and terrible as the Civil War was, I thought it was pretty clear that we were all happy slavery ended. So what compromise would Kelly have suggested? How much of the humanity of black people would John Kelly be willing to give up to have stopped the Civil War? See, that's the thing about Trump and his supporters. People of color like 
Muslims and immigrants from Latin America just aren't as important to them. Compromising on whether or not we should have been allowed to own black people, it's just another intellectual exercise to them. Look, I don't think John Kelly would restore slavery tomorrow if he had the chance. He's not a KKK member or a neo-Nazi. But he was in the room when his boss said very fine people marched with the KKK and neo-Nazis. And he still works for him. So you can debate whether or not John Kelly is a racist. But the one thing we know for certain is he tolerates racism. And he enables it. He was never going to save us from Donald Trump. He works for Donald Trump. He supports Donald Trump. And he's doing everything he can to help Donald Trump remake America in his image. Now, one Trump administration member we never expected much from, a Dwight Schrute type, if you will, was EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. This is the guy who made his bones in Oklahoma suing the EPA for doing its job. I've talked about him a lot on the podcast because he is systematically destroying the ability of our country to protect our air and water and prevent catastrophic climate change. Scott Pruitt hates science and scientists, or at the very least, believe they are extremely inconvenient. And now he's found yet another way to marginalize them at the agency he controls. He's instituting a new rule about who can serve on the EPA's Science Advisory Board. You can no longer serve on the board if you get an EPA grant. That means the scientists who have been doing the most important work on environmental science can no longer advise the agency on scientific matters. And who is Pruitt replacing well-qualified scientists with? According to the Washington Post, voices from regulated industries, academics and environmental regulators from conservative states, and researchers who have a history of critiquing the science and economics underpinning tighter environmental regulations. In other words, people who either don't believe in science or who are willing to twist it for their own ideological purposes. The EPA, as much as any agency in the federal government, should be driven entirely by science. But Scott Pruitt is replacing science with ignorance and greed. Speaking of science, Rick Perry once got a D in a college class called Meats. He's, you know, not the sharpest tool in the cabinet, which is why it's extremely good that he runs the agency in charge of maintaining our nuclear arsenal, a position President Obama filled with genius scientists and a position Rick Perry has absolutely no qualifications for. But this week, he took stupid to an entirely new level. Sexual harassment and assault has been dominating the news ever since the Harvey Weinstein revelations. And Rick Perry saw this as an excellent opportunity to promote, wait for it, fossil fuels. I'm going to read this quote, and it's a little long, and unfortunately, by the end, you're going to have lost several IQ points. So I'm sorry about that. This is Rick Perry, the current energy secretary of the United States. Quote, and it's going to take fossil fuels to push power out into those villages in Africa, where a young girl said to my face, one of the reasons that electricity is so important to me is not only because I'm not going to have to try and read by the light of a fire and have those fumes literally kill people, but also from the standpoint of sexual assault. When the lights are on, when you have light that shines, the righteousness, if you will, on those types of acts. 
I cannot imagine what would make him say something like that. I honestly can't. First of all, sexual assault happens in the dark, in the light, everywhere. Electricity does not stop sexual assault. Second of all, developing nations should be looking toward renewable resources. And third of all, what the hell, Rick Perry? You are a terrible human being. Do you remember when a quote like this from a cabinet member would drive the news for days and there would be talk about whether he'd have to resign? This story barely made a blip. It's honestly one of the worst things a cabinet member has said since the beginning of the Trump presidency. And Rick Perry isn't in any danger of resigning. Which says just about everything you need to know about the state of things. Finally, as we all know, the State Department has fallen into extremely sad times under Donald Trump and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. One of the biggest problems has been personnel. Trump can't find qualified people to fill top State Department posts, and our ability to conduct diplomacy around the world has suffered in a big way. To be fair, it's also suffered from having a president that the rest of the world thinks eats paste. But Trump says you don't have to worry about how things are going at the State Department. So we don't need all the people that they want. You know, don't forget, I'm a business person. and I tell my people, well, you don't need to fill slots. Don't fill them. But we have some people that I'm not happy with their But Assistant process. Secretary of State, you're not getting rid all of that right, position. But let me tell you, the one that matters is me. I'm the only one that matters because when it comes to it, that's what the policy is going to be. You've seen that. You've seen it strongly. Has Donald Trump ever said anything more Donald Trump than... I'm the only one that matters. In all seriousness, conducting the foreign policy of the United States is a huge endeavor, and these are critical positions he's failing to fill. The president may be the ultimate decider, but he can't do the day-to-day job of an assistant secretary for East Asia, especially if he's, you know, an idiot. That's it for another week with a Russian patsy as our president. Don't forget, you can find links to all the stories I've covered today on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. You can contact me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetrumpscorecard, on Twitter at Jesse Burney, or via email at thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com. Take a moment and head to patreon.com slash thetrumpscorecard and make a pledge to support the podcast. Just a few bucks per episode can help me keep this going. Thanks. And I'm also not encouraging any drinking. The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal. (laughs) 